0: get into this week's episode, I just have a really quick note of thanks that I wanted to share. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram it makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is Potts Art, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. This episode was edited by Jalene Smith, who has been so helpful. And you can help me hire her to edit more episodes. Head over to teachingartistpodcast.com support for all the ways that you can support this podcast. enjoyed hearing how Michael Milam took a leap to pursue adventure in China and has built those dual careers of artist and teacher alongside and intertwined with each other. He talked about finding his own voice in his artwork and helping students to find theirs. We also dug into failing, making mistakes, and developing resilience. We do at one point talk a bit about the differences in the Chinese and American systems and listening back I felt like we were maybe generalizing too much. It's definitely something I noticed and will think about going forward so I wanted to just mention that because we did talk about making mistakes and then acknowledging them and learning from them so I am trying to embody that. It was such a great conversation, and I especially loved hearing about his process combining photography and ceramics. Michael Milam has been an art educator for 13 years, 10 of those in Southern California teaching photography, 3D design, and ceramics. He currently lives and works in Qingdao, China teaching in an international school he is starting his third year teaching ceramics and photography at pegasus international school he loves to share his passion for the art making process with his students through his classes he hopes students gain a lifelong appreciation for the arts and develop their creativity problem solving and critical thinking skills Michael's artwork reflects his love for pop culture, punk rock, and the gritty textures he finds around him. He is exploring making ceramics that incorporate textures found around his school site, from pothole covers, asphalt, and dirt. He definitely lives the artist-teacher life both teaching and pursuing an art career. Hi, so I am here with Michael Milam, who is, I was just saying, the farthest away guest that I've talked to yet. So... (laughs) It's great to have you on. And I like to start with just a little bit of background. So kind of hearing your story, how did you become an artist and become a teacher? And did one come first? Kind of talk through what is your background? Yeah,
1: thanks for having me here. I actually, when I was in high school, did not really do art. was like, I'm going to take it in summer school to get it over with. And I can't wait to graduate. I'm going to get out of high school never be back here again. And I actually went to college for... uh, electroengineering. And I did that for one year. And just as I started that first year, I just kind of realized, like, I just really don't wanna do this. I'm not into school that much right now. And I ended up switching to a community college. And at the school I was at, you didn't really need an art requirement. And so then once I switched and I realized I was going to go to a California state college, I mm-hmm. realized, oh, I need art credit. Photography sounds cool. So I took that and fell in love with it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to like be in this dark room all day, every day. How do I do that? And I kind of went home and was like told my parents, I think I want to major in photography. Like Eh, I don't think so. We don't want to pay for you to be going to school, learning how to take pictures. You could just do that on your own. So my mom actually was an elementary school teacher. And when I was in high school, I was kind of that kid that got good grades, but moved around a lot and didn't do a lot and was probably Mm -hmm. frustrating the teachers because I knew all the answers, but I didn't really do school well. (laughs) <laughs> and they would be like, oh, you'd be a good teacher or you're a natural leader. And so I just kind of was like, well, I'll just be an art teacher. And that's kind of where my whole art career slash being a teacher started. I just fell in love with the photography and that was my thing. And then I taught photography for six years, I believe. Around there, five, six years. And I was doing art on my own through that time. I do a lot of band photography for record labels and just small punk bands and stuff. And then I got unexpectedly switched out of my position as a photography teacher, the school I was at, and moved to another school site within my district. So I was surplus. They just were like, we don't have enough students for keeping three art teachers on full time. And it ended up being ceramics. And they called me up and they're like, hey, do you know how to do ceramic? Can you fire gas kilns? And I was like, sure, I could do all that. And I did love taking ceramics in college, but I didn't really click to me as like, Oh, that's the art I want to do. Or that's like an art thing, really. And mm-hmm. so I did a little bit in my student teaching. And I loved it. And I did kind of miss it and always kind of wanted to get back into it. So I was like, sure, I could do all that stuff. at fire, but it was actually the best switch for me. And I've just been into ceramics as my art and for the past five, six years now. So I'm like about year eleven, year twelve, if I remember correctly, into teaching. But ceramics just really blurs at some point. (laughs) Yeah, right. And it just clicked for me and I was like, I love Mm -hmm. this. There's just always something different to do where photography just I kinda struggled with finding my voice and it just kind of felt like always the same thing for me and I just didn't really know what to do with it and just ceramics I just really like I think it's more because it's even more hands on and photography became so digital for me that Mm. that just kind of lost its like appeal because I loved it because I was in the dark printing and, and so this is just full on hands on and I can switch between so many different things with ceramics between exploring glazes and throwing and hand building I can just do it all and there's never like a point where you've learned everything in ceramics. Mm. And so that's kind of where I'm at. And I've been in some group shows and I've been selling artwork on Etsy all the way up to the point of your introduction, where I am now working and teaching in China.
0: Yeah. And do you want to talk at all about that and how and when you made that shift? Because you taught in California for a while, right?
1: Yeah. My first 10 years, 11 years was in California and SoCal. And my wife is also, uh, she's a history teacher, but then Mm -hmm. her last two, three years, she switched over to admin and was an assistant principal. Oh, yeah. And she loved that her first two years because she had a great mentor and an awesome principal she was working with. And Mm -hmm. so she was doing something new, and she was affecting kids in an all new way. And she loved that. But then her principal on the third year was like, hey, I'm going to move back to Japan and work in DoDEA. And so I'm leaving you. And so that kind of lit a fire under her. Then me to also look (laughs) at international teaching, because we Mm -hmm. had been talking about it, but it's one of those things where you just you're in a good teaching role and your district is really good. And I can Mm -hmm. kind of like do whatever I want. And she was happy. And, and it's one of those things where you just you talk about it, but you never do it because you're so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of just the last thing we needed to be like, you know what, let's just go for it. We're at the right age, like we've had enough experience, let's move on to something new and exciting and different and challenging in new ways. And so we started looking through the international education and the teaching jobs. And she happened to know someone that knows the guy that just started this. So it's only four years old. We've had two graduating classes. And they added me on this past school year as ceramics. I had one year off where I was actually a dorm director because they had no position for me yet. But they had the history position. So my wife is like, let's just go for it. I'm like, yeah, I'm to take one year off and do something different. Like I've been teaching a long time and this is just a good opportunity for both of us. And then the school was able to hire me on this past school year as the ceramics teacher. And so I'm starting to develop that program for them.
0: Oh, cool. So you kind of have like a new program to put your twist on. Yeah,
1: it's all mine. School knows nothing about ceramics or sculpture. (laughs) So they're just putting all their faith in me. And they're like, if I'm like, this is what I need to do. And they're kind of like, what? Are you sure? Do you know about these things? I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it long enough. I know, like, just trust I'm doing. So I've got set up with a couple electric kilns and some wheels. And because China is amazing, get all kinds of things just made for yourself fairly cheaply. Like I was able to find pictures of some tables and I got custom tables made that were wow. like my dream tables for working in a ceramics room uh. yeah so it's been awesome it's just been weird trying to find supplies where do I find them and I've basically been buying all my art supplies off Taobao which is their equivalent to Amazon So mm. it's kind of been like a weird thing because there's the city war in Qingdao there's no as far as I found so far there's no ceramic store there's no really ceramic community even mm. though China has and they kind of still do have like this very rich history of ceramics like in Shanghai there's the pottery workshop which you may be familiar with um and then they also have I'm going to hopefully not butcher this cuz I always do but Jingdezhen is like the last royal kiln yard and that is all still running as just private studios and people just kind of doing their own ceramic so that was kind of one of the last really large hubs for kind mm. of ceramics And porcelain in China. So
0: there's maybe even some kind of opportunity to help start more of a, or, you know, grow like a community in in your location
1: yeah definitely and I've had a few other expats get in contact me because we have this program called WeChat that's basically everybody mm-hmm. in China's on WeChat you can also the most amazing thing ever America's missing out is not being able to pay for everything on your phone and so you could pay for everything and it has like this social media component and so I've been talking they're like oh do you know anywhere would you teach privately and I'm like I don't know if my school let me but mm-hmm. they're Kind of seems to be an interest in like some kind of community building area there and like building something more than just what's at the school. So that may be something fun and interesting to start looking into.
0: Yeah. And then it would maybe be hard to find, but it might be worth looking into if there's any local or semi-local like Chinese crafts people that could come in and even like demo something.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we're not too far from Shanghai and Beijing. So I know there are some people there that I'd probably be able to start bringing in this past because of we were online when the pandemic started. And yeah. actually did a Zoom guest artist with one of my friends who's also a teacher in Southern California. I don't know, Ryan Wright. Do you know him
0: or not? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And Let's I had him on. Talked to him a little. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, he's doing those sneaker shoes. And I was like, of course, my students also are in (laughs) love with sneaker shoes. So yes, I need to have you on. So I did that. (laughs) So I'm also thinking about doing more of those, even though, you know, we're, we're actually back in school, we had our last two weeks, we were able to come back.
0: Wow. And do you are you in school with a bunch of precautions? Or is it fairly back to normal? What does it kind of look like?
1: barely back to normal for us. It, every mm-hmm. province is different and it all depends kind of on what their situation is. For us, pretty safe and they haven't had very many new cases in a long period of time. So when we went back, there weren't a lot of precautions and we were the last schools to go back. So they started public schools first. And mm-hmm. I think they started with seniors because they have a huge test that basically kind of determines which colleges they're going to be allowed to get into. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this test that they've been working towards their whole lives of like, this is it, this sets you up for what your future could be like, kind of. So they were the first ones to come back because that test super important. And then they basically just staggered every age level every two weeks. They would allow a new age, like a new grade level to come back. Hmm. By the time they got to, which we are a private training was what they call us. We were the last of the schools to reopen. The government came and like inspected the school and with our Chinese staff, a whole training session, epidemic prevention kind of drills and tests and things. They did that. Yeah. And then any students that were coming back that were outside our province had to get a COVID test before Mm. they were allowed to come back to once they came into our province. Yeah. And so FAR should be starting mid-August, kind of back to normal We're supposed to kind of, you know, keep desk apart kinds of things in mass still. But other than that, it's kind of life in China is kind of back to normal. You get Mm -hmm. temperature checks everywhere you go. And as soon as like there's a spike in cases. They kind of shut things down. And if you've been in that area, places won't let you in for at least 14 days. It's like we went to Beijing and we got back right on the day we got back or the next day, there was a spike in cases in Beijing. And so now it's like, oh, if you've been there, you're not going to let you like stay at a hotel or you're not allowed in like a public space. So they're they're on it and they track everything and right. we feel like super safe being here, which is funny because it started out as not safe and then they, quit. they got a handle on it and they locked everything down and people listened and they yeah. checked everyone and it was a big deal. Now it's like they're still tracking and everything and they can track you through that WeChat app basis. Ah. So yeah. And so you get a health code. As long as your health code shows green, then you're okay. If it turns yellow, then it means you've been in contact with someone that's had it. And then if it's red.
0: Wow. I'm feeling some jealousy over here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we're actually able to kind of travel around within Beijing but they're still they're wary of oh are you, you're American when were you here and we're like you know we've, we've been here since March because you closed the borders like end of March so right. you don't need to like be afraid of foreigners anymore they still are right. like cautious of us and want to know when we got here and like The last entry stamp in our passports, like our most valuable thing to prove that we've been here for so long.
0: Wow. And it's interesting to hear you say it feels like it's going back to normal, but with like desks apart and masks on, because I feel like in so many schools, that's like the maximum amount of precautions here. It's like, oh well, we'll separate the desks and we can wear masks. That's all we yeah. need, right?
1: Oh so, And I guess they're gonna test any students again that come back at the start mm-hmm. of the school year. They'll have to get a COVID test again to make sure they're not bringing it back into the province. Yeah. I right. mean, fortunately, that's the new normal, right? Is yeah. Mask and temperature checks and distancing. So yeah. And our classes are small. Like the most I had this year was eighteen.
0: Oh wow! And yeah. So,
1: yeah. So that's kind of the nice thing about international teaches private schools classes remain mm-hmm. small so it's not like when i was in california i had 40 kids i don't even know just <laughs> right. thinking about like them saying okay we're gonna bring back kids in some capacity and, like how are they even gonna fit 40 kids in my room mm-hmm. there's no way you can distance them in the room that i had like right i can't even imagine i'm almost glad i'm not there because like I still keep in touch with a group of friends on, group of teacher friends from there on Instagram and just hearing them talk about it and stuff. I'm like, I'm getting stressed and I'm not even there anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. I feel lucky I'm in LA and we're all completely online, at least for. The fall and we'll Uh, see what happens. But yeah, definitely not totally possible to distance unless a lot of things change. Yeah. So I had a couple questions that came up that are not as related to the pandemic. Um, But you mentioned that you had kind of a year off. It wasn't completely off because you were still working, but like a year off from teaching. Did that give you opportunity to make more art or was it still kind of busy, like, you know, getting settled in a new place and all of that?
1: yeah I was busy just getting settled in and it's China it's like a huge (laughs) difference you know and trying to figure out how to get around and it's just Mm -hmm. everything's different yeah it's like opposite thinking just everything's done like the opposite of so what we're used to that it just like Mm -hmm. you start to learn to just don't question why things are done that way and you're just like that's just the way they do it. This is the way it is here. And then with the new job, it was dorm director and it was just something that I hadn't done before. And so that was taking mm-hmm. some time away. And so I wasn't making too much art. I was able to start up the ceramics club. And so that gave me a little bit of time to do art. And that kind of was helpful in them adding that as a time class, because then they Mm -hmm. saw there was like this demand for it, and the kids were interested in it. Um, Uh. So that was the good thing about it. And kind of really what I got out of it is just, I love teaching, and I love making art. And I know, like, those are super important to me and they go together. And having Mm -hmm. that year off just really made me realize like how much I really love doing those things and how much it's important for me to keep doing them um, in some capacity. So yeah, that's kind of what I got out of it more than anything. Mm -hmm. That year off was interesting and I learned new things in different ways.
0: Yeah. And do you feel like you're... Like your teaching informs your art making at all? And then also vice versa, does making art inform your teaching? I wanna say
1: yes, but then sometimes when I reflect on it, I feel like not really, because I try not to influence, like my own personal voice in my art doesn't come out in my teaching, but my thought mm-hmm. process and like that, like experiment and try and don't be afraid mm-hmm. and kind of like those skills that we want the kids to pick up. I think those two back and forth influence each other from the teaching and the making. But I don't try to be like, because I love graphically and adding imagery onto stuff. And so I teach how to do that because I find that for ceramics, I'm getting the kids that don't know how to draw, don't think they can draw, don't think they're good at Mm -hmm. art. So I find that's like a really good way to to allow kids like me that love imagery, but don't know how to add it on to their artwork. Like it's a way they can do it. So I've taught how to do silk screen with underglazes and transfer those on. And my friend taught me, Victoria taught me how to do what she calls poor man's lithography, where you're basically just using a photocopier to print out kind of like silhouettes so basic black white Mm -hmm. and the toner acts as a resist so when you paint the underglaze on the white paper part it stays in those lines and then that can be transferred onto the clay and so it's an easy way to add simple imagery and text right so they can add their name and all kinds of things like that yeah so that kind of gets like brought into it but it's more of like hey this is like check this out. You could do this. But then also like it challenges me because I teach sculpture and I teach making functional work and hand building and wheel throwing. So I don't let only because I do hand building because that's what my artwork lends itself to right now. Mm -hmm. I don't limit the student to that either. So I really try to like Mm -hmm. keep that open. And so it's more of like I said, like that mindset more than Mm -hmm. anything is what kind of flips back and forth between teaching and art making.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because I was going to ask you also about like your start in photography. I see maybe coming through a bit in the ceramics. And I don't know if mm-hmm. any of the images are your own photos that you're adding on there. But I was going to ask how you do that. And
1: <laughs> you yeah, talked a little yeah. bit so, about
0: those processes. Yes,
1: those are all made with silk screen. So I get mm-hmm. I found a place that makes some because I'm like, I don't really have the setup for it when I was doing it mm-hmm. on my Current room. And I was like, you know what? There's people that know how to do that better. And I'm supporting small businesses. So I just get my screens made for me. Nice. Those were like, punk rock flyers from the 70s and 80s because that was like a huge influence in my life and still is I just that's the music I love and listen to the most still and so I was just trying to like get images on the clay like I really do miss kind of I missed photo but I missed like the imagery and having images on artwork and I was just like how do you do that with clay and I know there's decals and I know people use like the laser toner decals but that's just not the look I want and Mm. I Came across another artist who actually was silk screening them and transferring them on. And I was like, that just blew my mind and like totally changed (laughs) what I was doing into developing that body of work. And then also Tim Kwalczyk, who makes cardboard looking mugs and art. And he was doing like a tearaway. So you tear away and see that layer of corrugation underneath it. Uh, And that's kind of how I got my brick walls. I'm one of those artists who's not above dealing ideas from other people. I'm all about like, how do you steal an idea that you really love? But how do I make it my own? And I think I've really accomplished that. Like, I totally took those two ideas of silk screening images and kind of like this tear away thing underneath and made it I think my own thing and so it's it's stealing an idea but making it into your own voice that becomes mm-hmm. something that I kind of always am trying to get students to do as well like how do you make it you and they're always like what do we do or can I do this can I do that and it's like yeah like you just came up with the idea go for it like it's okay or like I used to do a lot I or I still do a lot of thumbnail drawing before mm-hmm. they start working and then they're like yeah oh, can I change I came up with this cool new idea instead of like the thumbnail drawing and I'm like That's awesome. Of course, like, change it like you're not stuck till it's on paper. And I think they get surprised by that freedom because it's like, and I tell like, well, you wouldn't have came up with that idea if you hadn't drawn all these other ideas. That's why all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, and like, they kind of get it. So they get why we do the thumbnails. So it's Mm -hmm. like that one of those light bulb moments. And yeah. And for me, I'm totally more into the art making process than the final results, even in my own artwork. I love the decorating. I love the building part. But then when it comes out of the kiln and it looks cool, i like, cool, but it's done. And I want to move on to like more like the making part. Yeah. And that's kind of where our, my teaching also like gets informed by that too. It's, it's to me all about just, the making process because that's where you're thinking and you're using skills and critical thinking and that's kind of like what i did like i use critical thinking and problem solving to learn how to get those cups to look like a brick wall that's been covered in maybe plaster or something and then part of it's falling off and all these old flyers are on it or monsters from old monster movies and yeah so that was kind of where that body of work came from
0: yeah yeah i love that process amazing
1: yeah it's really fun and it's so simple
0: yeah and the idea of like steel yeah and there's a book called steel yeah, like, like an artist like
1: an artist yeah that's totally like i love that book and it's it's totally stuck with me i feel like that book's an updated version of i don't know if you've read the art and fear
0: yes i have that one
1: yeah and it's kind of similar But I feel like the person that Mm -hmm. wrote Feel Like an Artist, that's almost like a more updated version of kind of... And a more simple version of kind of what that book is about. Yeah, so... And it's, you know, I just kind of take that it's 2020 artwork's been done since we learned how to draw in caves, right? And nothing is really Mm -hmm. new, but it's how do you take what's been used and find your own voice and make your own artwork that's uniquely to your viewpoint is what's new and different. It's, you know, like we're all drawing with charcoal or we're all painting with oils. And there's not a whole lot of new technique, but it's what you do with it and how you use them is what makes it uniquely yours and makes it your voice, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thinking more about teaching, do you kind of have like a teaching style And what would you say it is? Is it more discipline based? I mean, I guess now you're solely ceramics, but within that, is it like very structured or is it more leaning towards choice?
1: I would say it leans more towards choice, reflecting. It's maybe a little bit too much choice based sometimes (laughs) where they kind of get lost in that, like that freedom. They're so not used to like being able to choose what to do with, kind of like, okay, if we're making a mug, but then there's lots of mug styles, right? And I try not Mm -hmm. to tell them how to make it one way or the other. So that I think needs to be dialed in a bit and given a little bit more structure. I've moved away from like, okay, everyone like, pinch pots first, coil vessel second, something lab box third. And I've kind Mm -hmm. of started making lessons that, okay, this is your first lesson. Guess what? Like you've just learned how to do all three hand-building skills in this one lesson. And you've now learned everything you need to know for the whole year. Like, literally there's only coil building pinching and slabs and we're just going to keep developing those skills and so in terms of that it's it's skill based but i think i need more building more of those skill bases into first so i'm going to revamp my plan this mm-hmm. year and kind of gear it more towards a little bit more towards skill-based. And then that second year will be more toward a little more free choice and mm-hmm. um, developing a style and finding your own voice. And that's where I think I'm going to kind of start moving towards. Yeah, it's just I kind of reflect and try to change things up so that they're learning and they're they're having fun. And I think that's important, both as an artist and a teacher, right, is is that mm-hmm. reflection and fine-tuning thing. And I feel like teaching art is the same as making art, that there's a limited way of doing things and you have to continually reflect and refine what those are. Yeah, and I think I've just kind of been floundering with finding my voice as a teacher sometimes this is like, what do I exactly style do I want? And what do I want? I have an idea and I want these certain skills that they're going to be able to take with them to anything they yeah. do. Because realistically for my students, I don't think I've ever had in my 11 years student that's like, I'm going to go to school for art. I just haven't had one yet. They love the class they love making ceramics or taking photos they already have an idea of what they want to do and like I said a lot of them are in there because drawing and painting to them is hard and they can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's what they feel. And they're always like, oh, I can't draw. So I took this class. I'm like, Ugh. you can draw. That's what the class is for. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's always interesting to kind of try and find that balance of like how much teaching is there and how much fun, mm-hmm. what are their expectations of what the class is. I get a lot of like, oh, this is our fun class. Like we have all these hard classes just all day. And like, this is the one where we like can come in and relax. And I feel like I kind of teach it more as like if I was in college because I feel like it's almost insulting to lower them down to like well it's high school or your kids like yeah it's Mm -hmm. high school but I think starting off just pinching and just those three basic skills as separate assignments is almost a little bit of a disservice to them and insulting to them like you can build those into something instead and that's kind of where I've been kind of refining those first year assignments and they seem to do well that way and I feel like you can get more done and more interesting projects out of them if you build that confidence with them first. I did my master's in art education at Boston University, and mm-hmm. that was one of the things that my final research project was on, with art and fear, and that students are being held back by their own fear of being creative. And if you can build their confidence and get them to see past that I can't do art. So that's why I'm in your class kind of mentality Mm -hmm. that I can really get some really cool assignments out of them. And they do do really good work. And I'm like, you guys just try Like, you'll be so amazed at what you do. I tell them, like, I care more about that process of making versus just what's the final result.
0: Yeah, definitely more focused on that. because yeah,
1: you know, you, you always have those kids that like just naturally they're good at art and they make really good art. But are they does that mean they're better than the kid that doesn't and is struggling like that kid that's really, really good, not be really showing any growth or learning. They're just naturally gifted in that area or they just have those skills, you know. And then the kid that's trying really hard could be trying something really difficult and creative. And because they don't have much art experience, they don't realize that what they're doing is really difficult. So I tell them, you know, it's it's about like where your starting point is, is that's your journey in art. That's how I look to grade you and develop you and to give you more skill.
0: Yeah. And where you are now, is it mostly international students or is it um, Chinese students?
1: Our school is all Chinese students. Uh-huh. Um, we call ourselves an international school. Um, and we actually just <laughs> joke because with this year, all of our American staff that didn't get back into China in time, we had to uh-huh. hire within China and we have like a British teacher an Irish teacher we're like, we're finally international, but we're international (laughs) because we have international teachers instead.
2: Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's all, it's all Chinese. It's basically the school set for Chinese kids want to basically go to like America, England, Mm -hmm. Canada, Australia, once they graduate for college. Right. And so these kids are set up so that for our school, they're pretty much getting, they're getting a California credential. We have a Mm -hmm. high school diploma. Because we have a sister school that we work with. So mm-hmm. we're teaching all California curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it easy for colleges to understand what classes they took and how they transfer over. And so that's right. kind of like the draw of our school is, hey, you come here. Like the colleges know what you did and know it's legitimate and it's the same California curriculum and standards and so they get that high school diploma and then it's for schools to accept them because they're not trying to figure out like where does this weird history class fit into like what the college is trying to look for Mm-hmm. So the transcripts transfer over like super easy.
0: It made me think that the little bit that I know of anything about the sort of Chinese education system is that it would be much more structured. So I could definitely see yeah. where offering a lot of choice can be challenging for those students that aren't used to that.
1: Yeah, and, you because... know, it's
0: it's challenging even for uh-huh. the American students that I have. But <laughs> if you've yeah, never had yeah, that, no. it's, yeah,
1: yeah, because they're used to like, okay, we just sit in class and we listen to the teacher. And mm-hmm. They just tell us what to do and we do it. Mm-hmm. And that's like the strength of Chinese students and people is like, they can see and they can do something that they're told to do. And they do it really well when you like tell them how to do it right. And why, and mm-hmm. as long as you kind of have that why in there, like they get it and they do it all. But then when it's like, okay, yeah. problem solve, critical thinking, like that's where they hit that wall because they're not used to being told, like, think freely and mm-hmm. think think critically and, and use creativity and, and problem solve. And that's just not going to happen. So that's kind of like where that struggle is even harder than like American students. But it's just a matter of, you know building those skills and Mm -hmm. scaffolding and using what strengths they do have. And then it kind of becomes more of a skill that they start to learn and they figure out.
0: Yeah. And within teaching ceramics, are you able, do you, Do you share other artists with the students as like inspiration? And if you do, do you kind of make sure that you're including artists of color and sort of a variety of artists in their contemporary artists? Would you have any artists that you'd want to kind of shout out that you've shared
1: That's kind of an area where I've lacked a lot of, and I definitely need to add more of, and especially of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that's that's kind of, like, where my mindset's kind of going now, is how do I incorporate more artists to it? Mm -hmm. So, like, let's just get in there and start making art, but it's important because, I mean with my own artwork if I hadn't looked at all kinds of different artists and on Instagram scrolling through all the time mm-hmm. I wouldn't know how to do some things or I get inspired so much by it so it's definitely like an area that I need to grow on and that's what I'm working on kind of now with lesson planning is how do I pair up an artist and particular artist of color and underrepresented artists who mm-hmm. what we're doing so that's definitely an area that I'm to strengthen in my curriculum.
0: Yeah yeah and then the other thing I keep hearing hearing that's really important with that is to you know that it's that's like the very beginning that you're Mm -hmm. you know making sure you're including those artists but then like I'm sure your wife does a lot of including like the context and yeah who are these people and you know what was happening when they were making their work and you know Mm -hmm. can I find like a video of them sharing with you their story
1: yeah I think videos and all that stuff is like real important to add in with that. And yeah, yeah. I'm just it's kind of like, how do I balance those two things? Because I want to maximize that working time, I think, is our teachers, right. we all do, but right kind of like how much information do they need? And how can I also get away with not including things? But it's definitely I think it's really important. I think that's a little bit of a missing component in my mm-hmm. teaching that I'm I'm going to try and include more of.
0: Yeah, it's been I've been having those kind of discussions lately with other art teachers. And it's been really helpful just thinking through Mm -hmm. all the different aspects of like, what does it mean to really like try to become an, you know, an anti-racist art teacher? (laughs) What does that mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of just jumping in and diving in and you're not always going to be perfect but it's mm-hmm. important to just do it and maybe try is not the word but do it like that's just that's yeah. the only thing we can do is just it's not going to be perfect and we're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. I'm all for like students and people like saying hey like maybe word it this way or you didn't quite
2: mm-hmm. say it
1: correctly and that's great like I'm going to learn and grow from important. and if you right. don't just do it then I think we can get into that into too much in our heads of like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I don't want to, I want to try, but I'm not sure. Like, I think it's one of those things where you just got to jump in and figure it out as you go and and use resources that are available to you to help you to do it correctly and, and to make sure mm-hmm. it's done in a thoughtful way
0: yeah yeah and then like you said not be afraid to kind of fail and and figure things out and even letting students see that journey a little bit can be yeah, maybe helpful for them too yeah, right because we're you always know?
1: telling them it's okay to fail but if we don't do uh-huh. it ourselves i think you know sometimes as teachers we can say a lot of things that we want our students to do, but we're afraid to have our students see us also stumble and fall. Mm-hmm. And I know that's one of the things I got feedback from when I was um, still teaching California. Was they loved that I was making my art and failing and throwing things away, and that I just was stumbling and making mistakes as I was going along. And I I owned up to it. They they actually enjoy that. They're like, there's so many teachers that we have, and they just always think like they're right and they're perfect, and you're not that. And we appreciate it. And that's kind of what they also liked about. The classroom environment too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Being able to see that is really empowering. Like it, I yeah. feel like it gives students that model of, oh, this teacher's, you know, like made it this far, and <laughs> they're still showing us that they're not perfect.
1: Yeah. yeah, I have demos that just the clay flops or starts cracking, and <laughs> I'll make a joke yeah. of it and fix it and move on. You know, and it's yeah. not always going to be that that perfect thing, and that's part of the process. And I think it's important for us to show that Mm -hmm. to our students. So and it kind of humanizes you, I think a little bit, right? And yeah, we're not all perfect. So the students need to see that it's okay to to mess up. But what do you do with that failure? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the important
0: part right yeah what do you do with it if it's you know that your piece of clay just broke how do you fix it what are some like technical things you can do or do you go cry in a corner or do you just kind of start over and like you're okay Uh with it Um, yeah Yeah. and when it's something more like you know oops i said the wrong thing like do you continue saying that wrong thing (laughs) or do you like acknowledge it and apologize if needed and you know try Uh to like do better next time yeah and
1: i think we do that with our students, right? Our students blurt things out and say wrong things. Mm-hmm. So it's life. It's part of learning and growing. It's always yeah. what you do with those hardships that determine, you know, who you're going to be and what your next steps in life are.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Resilience is more important than mm-hmm. ever. Right oh, yeah. now.
0: Well, I would love to get more into your artwork. And mm-hmm. um, you mentioned briefly that you've been, you know, selling and showing your work, but I always find it really helpful to hear more of the kind of like nitty gritty of that stuff like the business side of it (laughs) would you mind talking a little bit about how like how do you sell how do you kind of find opportunities
1: instagram has been amazing with at least for the ceramic side of like just finding shows and opportunities and i have from just Photography I've because I used to also take pictures of pinup models and stuff, and be like, I don't know if I want to ask that person. What if I'm not good enough? They'll say no, and then by the time I like. It's like, no, I am good enough. And I asked that person, they're like, oh, I only can do page shoots or I'm booked all the time. And so I just developed that to like, just go for it. And like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you think your work is ready, it's ready. And it's at some point, you just have to put yourself out there. So I just I'll submit something. And I even started in my classroom, a wall of rejection letters, and I hung them all up. and at- uh- and it's like you're going to get rejected and you're going to get into things. And that's just it's the way the art world is. And whoever's maybe the judge or the own gallery owner, like they have an idea of what should be in there and what fits with everything else they're accepting. And the worst case scenario is you get a no. And the best case scenario is you're going to get a yes. And if you get a no, you, there's more opportunities out there. But if I just don't submit my artwork, then that is definitely a no, right? So yeah. if I at least try, maybe it's a yes, and maybe it's a no. But if you don't, that's 100% a no. And that's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, And then so that kind of helped build the confidence of like, wow, not only did I get in, but the thing also sold. And so then I can start selling on my own. I did go the Etsy route, because that's just kind of the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. And I would basically just announce a shop update once a month. So I'd make a bunch of mugs and cups and different things and kind of build up that anticipation. I didn't use Etsy as like, I'll always have things listed and people will find me because it's just way oversaturated now. And it's hard to find things. And they've stretched their definitions of what is handmade. And so if you put like handmade ceramic mug, you're going to get a bunch of pre-bought mugs that someone just threw a decal on. And Mm -hmm. so Etsy for me is just an easy platform because it includes all the shipping tracking. I can print labels straight through it for um, shipping. And it's I don't have to really worry about anything in terms of having the website up and running or any of that it's just it's all there i can set it up i can set a time for it to release everything out i can allow people that are on a mailing list to have first dibs and give coupons and things and so you just you could do so much with it it's just easy and every platform is going to have fees and that's just part of it whether it's a website platform or a gallery yeah and then that's kind of the journey of like selling for me. I'm not super into business or marketing. I did start to do some Instagram ads and just spend maybe 20 bucks a month just to kind of try to help grow that mm-hmm. audience. And that's important is to find your audience. And there's, yeah, for like, you know, everything. Like, I know the work that I'm making, monsters and punk rock flyers, like, there's a niche audience for that. It's not going to be everybody. And so it just, Finding those people, that's where you're going to start to be able to sell artwork.
0: Right. Yeah. And would you have any tips on that like Instagram ad thing? (laughs) Like, is there, are there methods to it that you've kind of followed or?
1: I know there's some methods out there. I kind of just, I have my profile set as a business profile, so I can kind of look and see who my audience is. I would just look at what are the automatic settings that Instagram is suggesting. And if I didn't feel they were quite right, I would tweak those to the manual settings. So like my age group on Instagram is like early thirties to mid fifties is like my largest audience. So I'd make sure like that part is included. Yeah. And then keywords weren't there that I thought should be there, right? Like I know a bunch of bands that people don't know or that probably Etsy isn't gonna think of or (laughs) colors that weren't showing up. Like so it's just kind of like using those keywords to get your search into the right hand.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. And I love that. I feel like I've talked about this idea with other artists of a non-application is a rejection, (laughs) like that idea that you you can't get a, a yes if you don't put it out there. Yeah, totally.
1: Um, I think yeah. at a certain point, like you kind of know your work is ready. I think you're going to look past, you know, probably six months a year and be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I was selling that. But you know, you. have <laughs> Yeah. And so that's just part of it. Like at some point your skill levels are where they're at and you're copying them and it's going to evolve and grow and just yeah. have to go for it at some point. Otherwise, you're just always going to be waiting.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then another question i feel like people have a lot is how do you overcome creative block
1: for me i just will go throw on the wheel the wheel or i'll make a bunch of test tiles and play with glazes Oh, i just try to do something different i'll doodle i'll look on instagram i'll go to websites for me i'm influenced by pop culture so i'll watch weeds and things like that and and that's kind of will give me back. And I think it's okay to take a break sometimes when that happens and then come back when you're ready. And sometimes you just need to force yourself to just do something. And that's kind of where like the wheel throwing and those different areas come in and it yeah. kind of gets you kicked back into that mindset of what you were doing. And it could either lead to something new or it just helps you to continue making the work you've been making in a new or different way or tweaking. So it's kind of finding like those different things. Um, Like when I first was making mugs, I was just making with a flat bottom. And one day when I was just kind of stuck and didn't know what to do. I started cutting out circular rings and figuring out how to put like a foot ring onto the mug. And so then a lot of the later work has an actual foot ring and there's colored clay sandwiched in between. And and so that evolved from just kind of one of those moments of what do I do? Am I just doing the same thing over and over again? And so that helped to evolve that kind of part of the mug.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Just kind of playing and and learning also as part of that. Like I'm mm-hmm. stuck, what else can I learn?
1: Yeah, I think the play part is important. Sometimes it's hard to include that in your time because, you know, we have limited time, especially us as teachers. Yeah. Yeah. We are working all day and so it's like sometimes I think you put that pressure on yourself, but you need to just step back, play and have fun and remember why you got into both art and teaching in the first place.
0: Right. Yeah. And I feel like that actually kind of leads me into the next question is about time, you know, just how do you fit it all in? I feel like this having almost like dual careers, like you're trying to be a Mm -hmm. professional artist, you're trying to be a professional teacher and like do it well. And then all of the other things in life, you know, having a family and just taking care of yourself and all of that.
1: Time-wise, I I do try to work during class time. They've gotten pretty much into a project. I think that's important is I'll sit at a table and just talk to them and work with my stuff and watch them. Nice. And if I can work in between periods. I just try to fit it in anywhere I can. I'll get to work early. I'll stay at work late. My studio is basically my classroom because I don't have my own studio or anything. And so that's kind of how I have to manage my time is fitting it in when I'm there. Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to going in on a Saturday morning for a few hours if I want to. My wife is amazing and she's understanding and knows if I want to work, like, I have that time and I can just let her know. So it's just yeah. kind of trying to fit it in when it makes sense for you. We don't have kids. So that's kind of one that's a little bit easier for me is I don't have to also try and fit that part into my life. And then I'll try the lesson plan from home or do, you know, that part there or grade from home so that that way I can do my art while I'm at my school site.
0: Yeah, just kind of squeezing it in whenever possible and i love that also yeah. working like alongside your students i feel like that that can be really inspiring for them too
1: yeah, and i think it's important for them to see that you are making art and they'll see again Like goes back to like they'll see those struggles they'll see your successes yeah. and and so that's important and they can reach a point where they don't need you especially about halfway through the school year like once I introduce an assignment and get it going the first couple of weeks like they've developed those skills and I can just work with them and alongside them and watch and talk and I think that's yeah. really important in building relationships with them and building mm-hmm. that trust with them and I think for art teachers like shouldn't be afraid to be also working in a room sometimes I think maybe we feel like guilty that we're doing that, but I don't think you should. And I haven't encountered any problems with it. I mean, it's not like I'm just ignoring the students (laughs) and oh you guys you know right. go over there and do something like they're getting taught they're learning and I can fit it in when I can
0: yeah and would you have any I feel like you've already shared several but <laughs> one of my questions is do you have any tips for artists who are kind of just getting into teaching
1: I think just keep trying to find time to make your own artwork because that is mm-hmm. important and for a lot of us art was first teaching was second I kind of found a both at the same time, and but I think it's important to not lose that part of you. And I always encourage it in my coworkers too when they're doing their own art. Like I get excited for them, and I think it's great. But those first five years of your trying to figure out teaching and survive and art may not happen so much. So be understanding of that and don't be afraid that you're not ever going to get back to it because you start to find your rhythm in teaching and you're able to kind of start figuring that schedule out and it'll come and it's possible to do both. I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. artist teachers out there that are proving.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking for more of them. It's been really fun to connect with people who are kind of juggling these two careers.
1: Uh, Yeah. It's kind of an interesting situation we have as art teachers that we kind Mm -hmm. of have these dual careers, but they're kind of intertwined into each other. Yeah. Especially at the high school level. I think college level, it's kind of almost expected, but at the high school Mm -hmm. level, it's not as expected, but there's a lot of us out there doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then at the the elementary level, I haven't really been able to like make my own work alongside kids, but I definitely talk mm-hmm. about the process and uh, I feel like seeing their creativity does inspire me, and
1: yeah, and I think even just having your artwork sitting out is good too. Because mm-hmm. I'll just leave all my stuff on the table, and if they come up to ask a question where I'm at, like they'll start to pick things up and look at them. And so mm-hmm. I think just even having it out, even if you're not working on it, yeah, is just as good too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just letting them see that.
1: Yeah, right in their eyes, yeah. we become more legitimate. You know, if we're making and working on art so I think it is an important aspect of it.
0: Yeah, it becomes not just this person talking about making art, Mm -hmm. but this person who's like really an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So starting to kind of wrap up, I always like to ask this really sort of broad, open ended question. What are you curious about right now? Could be, you know, Uh, art related, teaching related um, life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious about everything. Um,
0: Yeah, there's so much going on.
1: Yeah, it's, kind of weird because I'm starting to develop a new body of work based on textures Mm -hmm. and things around me in China but then I've just really started re-watching Wes Anderson movies and I've just been really curious about how can I add that graphic clay element back into work using stuff from there so I'm almost now thinking of a second body of work Mm -hmm. but I'm like I want to Think about it, but I'm not gonna make it right now because I also want to keep exploring this other idea that I had. So it's ah. kind of like this weird dual role of like, I'm curious about both these things and I'm just really interested in like how I can like make a body of work based on like his movies. And I can come up with some ideas already, and, but it's keeping me excited to make this other body of work of just really working with textures and stuff. And so I'm kind of curious how I can mm-hmm. textures as my graphic element versus actual imagery.
0: Oh. Yeah. And I also really like the idea of going forward with this kind of new idea while there's like a second new idea kind of rolling around in the back of your yeah. head and, and building yeah. steam.
1: And I, and I think it can be one of those things like we've mentioned about when you run into a roadblock or you don't know what mm-hmm. to do. Like there's kind of now this second idea kicking around that maybe I can start to mess around with to help kind of get out of mm-hmm. that creative funk that you get in sometimes. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. What happens, and if that comes out sooner than anticipated?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too. Like, I Feel like the older I get, and the maybe also the busier I get, (laughs) the less I ever have creative block because there are always like multiple ideas in my head that I haven't yet been able to do. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of the point I'm getting to.
0: Yeah. Just, you know, pull one of those out, like drop the fishing hook into that brain and (laughs) see what comes, (laughs) see what bites.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. I think that's a good way to develop as an artist if it works for you is because kind of kick around multiple ideas and come mm-hmm. at them as you have the time. And I think yeah. I have some interesting ideas of how I can do it unique from what I've seen other people do. So mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see see what's coming.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Another just fun kind of get to know you question. What's your favorite food? Ah,
1: ramen. I love ramen. Ooh, I can eat it yeah. every single day. And we've been lucky to be able to travel there Quite a bit since we're so close to there now, and my wife's friend, she's still working in Japan, so we get to stay uh, with her. And I'm like, I could just go every day when we're there and just eat ramen, even though you really shouldn't because it's so much salt in it. Oh, but I love it. I'm missing it right now. <laughs> uh,
0: all of the food in Japan. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know, it's so good. You can't amazing. go wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah so then is there anybody that you would want to thank or give a shout out to
1: definitely my wife because she's awesome and my biggest supporter um, yeah. my secret person that's like my secret mentor but he doesn't know but I use him as a mentor he probably does because <laughs> <is Tim Kowalsik, laughs> I always go to him when I have questions or need help so he's an awesome artist definitely check him out he's the cardboard guy yeah he makes amazing but he does just all these amazing Trompolet sculptures, too. So Mm it's more than just that, even though that's kind of what he's become known for. Uh And then Ryan Reich and Kevin Kowalski are both high school teachers that we've kind of formed a good working relationship with each other and able to talk and help each other out. And we send each other those invites of shows and things. So they're Mm -hmm. kind of my art teacher support group.
0: Nice. That's awesome. And I can link to them if you'd like.
1: Yeah, because they all make great work. Nice. Oh, and lastly, my co-worker from California, she's on Instagram as well, Melinda Mullen. She totally inspires. Me. She's on Instagram. I'll have to look it up. Art of Teaching, I think is what it is, but she's okay. amazing. I think those are all kind of the people that really inspire me both artwork wise teaching
0: yeah awesome and then thinking of links online where can listeners connect with you online
1: my website is michaelnightmare.com my artist or my teaching website is the artist teacher.com and then they can find me on instagram at mike nightmare
0: awesome thank you and i'll link to all of that as well great well, thank you so much, Michael. It was really interesting to hear your story and just the different processes that you're doing and kind of how you have shifted, moved around, what things are like there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thank you yeah, for thank sharing. Thank you
1: so much for having me on. It's been fun talking with yeah. you and I enjoy and honor to be on your show. It's a great show. It's very helpful and inspiring, as I said earlier.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I especially liked Michael's idea of the wall of rejection letters Displayed in the classroom. Ah, what a way to show students that journey and start a conversation about overcoming fear. Go apply to something. Right now, head off. Do it. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists And if you loved this episode please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you